as I'll be reading from 1 Samuel chapter 19, verses 1 through 24. And Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and to all his servants, that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. And Jonathan told David, Saul, my father, seeks to kill you. Therefore, be on your guard in the morning, stay in a secret place, and hide yourself. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are, and I will speak to my father about you. And if I learn anything, I will tell you. And Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not the king sin against his servant David, because he has not sinned against you, and because his deeds have brought good to you. For he took his life in his hand, and he struck down the Philistine, and the Lord worked a great salvation for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood by killing David without cause? And Saul listened to the voice of Jonathan. Saul swore, as the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. And Jonathan called David and Jonathan reported to him all these things. And Jonathan brought David to Saul and he was in his presence as before. And there was a war again, and David went out and fought with the Philistines and struck them down, struck them with a great blow so that they fled before him. Then a harmful spirit from the Lord came upon Saul as he sat in his house with his spear in his hand. And David was playing the lyre, and Saul sought to pin David to the wall with a spear. But he eluded Saul so that he struck the spear into the wall, and David fled and escaped that night. Saul sent his his messengers to David's house to watch him, that he might kill him in the morning. But Michal, David's wife, told him, if you do not escape with your life tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. So Michael let David down through the window and he fled away and escaped. Michael took an image and laid it on the bed and put a pillow of goat's hair at its head and covered it with the clothes. And when Saul sent messengers to David, she said, he is sick. Then Saul sent the messengers to see David saying, bring him up to me in the bed that I may kill him. And when the messengers came in, behold, the image was in the bed with the pillow of goat's hair at its head. Saul said to Michael, why have you deceived me thus and let my enemy go so that he has escaped? And Michael answered Saul, he said to me, let me go. Why should I kill you? Now David fled and escaped and he came to Saul at Ramah, Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. And he and Samuel went and lived at Naos. And it was told Saul, Behold, David is at Naos and Ramah. Then Saul sent messengers to take David. And when they saw the company of the prophets prophesying and Samuel standing his head over them, the Spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul, and they also prophesied. When it was told Saul, he sent other messengers, and they also prophesied. And Saul sent messengers again the third time, and they also prophesied. Then he himself went to Ramah and came into the great well that is Seku. And he asked, Where are Samuel and David? And one said, Behold, they are at Naoth and Ramah. And he went there to Naoth and Ramah, and the Spirit of God came upon him also. And as he went, he prophesied until he came to Naoth and Ramah. And he too stripped off his clothes, and he too prophesied before Samuel, and lay naked all that day and all that night. Thus it is said, is Saul among the prophets? This is the word of the Lord.
Thanks be to God. Good morning, Christ Central. Uh, we're glad that you could join us in your homes. I pray as we worship, the places where you are will be holy ground where God's word dwells with you. My name is Josh Kim, and I'm one of the assistant pastors here at Christ Central Church. And I'm glad and I'm privileged to be able to share God's word with you this morning. Comes in coming from 1 Samuel chapter 19. As I shared last week, um, during the month of July, Pastor Mari and I are going to dwell in these two chapters, Samuel 18 through 20, um, three chapters at that, and we're going to tackle, uh, we're going to focus on this topic of friendship. So we're looking at a series within a series to understand what does God have to say to us about friendship according to 1 Samuel 18 through 20. And last week, if you were to, if you joined us last week online, we looked at the broken relationship that happened between Samuel and David, uh, Saul and David, actually, and then looked at and helped us to examine our relationships, perhaps broken relationships that we have with our friends in our lives. And today we're continuing on in the series of looking into our friendship, and we're at chapter 19, and we look at the relationship between Saul and David again. But today our focus turns from relationship with one another to our character's friendship with God at hand. We're looking at Saul's and David's friendship with God, as the title of the sermon is called Dangerous Friendship. One of the most devastating impacts of COVID-19, besides the loss of life that is devastating as it is for many of us in our country at large, we also have many that have lost jobs during this time. Our unemployment rates are very high, and many of us are struggling in our work uh, with uncertainties about the future. We, as a leadership of our church, are praying with you. Uh, we're wrestling this with you. And if you are in need of any mercy, please do reach out to our deacons of our church. And please know that we are going to pray through this with you as we wrestle through this time. And as many of us are wrestling with finding jobs and looking at our next steps, there are many resources out there on teaching us how to find jobs or even start applying for different things. And one of the common suggestions that these websites make is to utilize our networks. Another way to say is find who you know and how do you know them, and through those relationships, you are able to find the next job. And the question is, how do we know and who do we know often impacts um, our job setting as well as getting into different places that we want to. But we also know that that's not all that is involved, obviously, in landing a job or um, getting the thing that you need to get. And that's the similar uh, situation we find David is in this morning. We may not be related to finding a job, for David or getting an interview per se, but David seemed to have developed a vast network by the time we get to 1 Samuel 19. From being a shepherd boy now to the war general, we see that David has developed friends in high places, as you would say. He seems to have everything going for him by the time we get here. He not only was friended by Samuel, the great prophet of Israel, as the next king, David is also best friends with Jonathan, king's 
son, who last week we saw gave him the royal robe. If that is not enough, we know that David is the next anointed king, the king who is to come. And God's got a, an advancement, advancement plan for him. He's actually on David's side in chapter 19. So if you're talking about credentials, backings, the networks, you name it, David has it all. Now you think that because he has it all, everything should be great for him, right? I mean, he's going to be the king after all. Everything should be given to him by this point. But what we find in this chapter is that David is actually running. He's running away from Saul. He's threatened. He's separated from his wife and his family. He's targeted repeatedly by the most powerful man in Israel at the time. And for next several chapters, David is fleeing for his life over and over and over again. And his coronation as a king does not come for another 10 years. And there are more valleys for his life than the mountaintops. So what is David learning through all this? And what can we learn as we walk with David through this story? One lesson that David learns through this chapter is that friendship with God, being a follower of Christ, is not an easy thing to do. It is incredibly hard for David to be God's anointed, to be a friend of God. He faces oppositions again and again and again. And friends, that's the true reality of our lives as well. That being friends with God is not an easy call that the gospel gives us. And for David, who seems to have friends in high places, it doesn't seem to translate into life circumstances that favor him of the day. But another lesson David learns, despite the fact that friendship with God is very difficult, he also learns through this chapter that God's protection, God's guidance, God's providence for him goes beyond himself, and friendship with God is absolutely worth it for him. So how do we make sense of these two things together? Being a friend with God is very difficult and very dangerous, but it is absolutely worth it. So how do we match this together and go forward in our relationship, in our friendship with God? What do you cling on to? What hope is there for us in chapter 19? Three things we're going to look at this morning. Friendship with God is pricey. Friendship with God is unpredictable. But ultimately, friendship with God is priceless. Again, friendship with God is pricey. Friendship with God is unpredictable, but ultimately, friendship with God is absolutely priceless. First thing we see in this chapter is that friendship with God is absolutely pricey. David experiences that friendship, walking with God, costs a lot in his life. Remember who David was? He was a young shepherd boy, unassuming, humble, anointed as the next king by the great prophet, the last judge of Israel, Samuel, a young warrior who leads Israelites to the improbable victory by overcoming Goliath 
and against the Philistines. He was also a war general who knew no defeat in his campaign against Philistines and against their advanced weaponry. A king's own son-in-law, by the way of defeating 200 Philistines, not to mention yielded a crown by the king's very own son as the next king of Israel. If anyone thought being God's friend, God's anointed is good, David surely would have. But that wasn't it. Saul's envy and the jealousy consistently jeopardizes David's life. And here in chapter 19, David is running away again. First from the spears of the king thrown at him again after a great victory against Philistines. Second time running away from king's henchmen sent to kill him in his own house, in the king's daughter's house of all places. And third, three times while he fled away to Samuel, the great prophet, not to mention the king saw himself coming to kill him, David is running away. David's price of being God's anointed, God's friend, is pricey. And it's tempting to think for us this morning to think about David and looking at his confidence in defeating Goliath and looking at how many victories he's able to overcome against Philistines while fighting at the forefront of the battle. On top of that, looking at the deliverance he experiences all throughout this chapter for us to think that, man, this guy is like a devil or like Superman. He just doesn't die. This guy's incredible. He's able to come out of the most difficult circumstances with confidence, with victory for the Lord. But just because the promise of God is there, and just because God delivers him time and time again, doesn't make the uh, current situation, doesn't make the process that he goes through any easier. And when we remember that David from the scripture, we often focus on his accomplishments, how he's a king, he's a man after God's own heart. But that's not only true of biblical heroes, but we often look at our faith heroes, our mentors, whoever may be, and we often focus on the success and the glory of being God's friend. But we, we forget to look at the difficulties of becoming a friend of God or walking, consistently walking and being a friend of God. Here, David is not just walking around as if he's invincible. There is a struggle there. There is fear there. How do I know that? Read through Psalms. Book of Psalms, most of what David wrote, especially during troubled times, we read his heart struggle, you'll find the man wrestling in our current circumstances, crying out to the Lord in lament, asking for God's deliverance, and ultimately finding God in it. And throughout 1 Samuel, for next 10 years, friends, next 10 years, David learns to trust in God. He learns to trust in God's protection and God's promise, all the while learning to count the cost of what it means to be God's anointed, God's friend. And I believe David isn't the only one who experiences the costliness of friendship in this chapter. 
We also see the cost Jonathan and Michal and Michael, however you want to read her, her name, pays in this story. Michal is a bit of a more complicated character as we see her involvement with the household idols here, as well as how he deceives her father and how, he how she despises Dancing David later in chapters. But the imagery of Michal in deceiving the father brings back memories of another important, lover in the another important woman in the scripture, yet flawed. And Rachel, if you recall, um, also deceives her father Laban in the process as well. But especially for Jonathan, the scripture is much more clear on the costly price of standing with the Lord's anointed, standing with David. And I'm not just talking about him giving up his throne, giving up his place to David as a king. His friendship with David costs him a lot more, including his relationship with the Father. The verses that we read from verses 1 through 6 of this chapter talks about how Jonathan goes out of his way to talk to his father of keeping David alive. It says, And Jonathan told David, Saul, my father, seeks to kill you. Therefore, be on your guard in the morning. Stay in a secret place and hide yourself. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are. And I will speak to my father about you. And if I learn anything, I will tell you. And in these six verses that we read, we see the repeated emphasis the author makes. It says, Saul's son. And Jonathan keeps on referring to Saul as my father, my father, my father. The reason why is as flawed as his father is, we see Jonathan still fighting alongside his flawed father, fallen king, until the day he dies. There's a strong relationship, affection between Saul and Jonathan. Jonathan did not simply despise Saul for failing to see David as the next king. Yes, he stood up for David, but his love and affection for his father was strong. But despite this strong relationship, Jonathan places his friendship with David, his friendship with the Lord's anointed, above his relationship with his father. Here we see what Jesus spoke of in Luke chapter 12. There will be a division of father against son, father against daughter, because again, relationship with God must take precedence over even that of our family. Do you catch that, friends? Our relationship with our God's anointed, our relationship, our friendship with God must take precedence over our relationship even with our family. And what this relationship, pricey friendship Jonathan has with David reminds us again is that as Jonathan is giving up his throne, protecting the life of his friend, abdicating his place for the rightful king to come, yet he hears another person in the family saying, what are you doing? Why are you away, giving away your crown and bringing it home for us? Perhaps you may have been hearing as you are deciding to follow Christ in your family, deciding to commit yourself to love the Lord, the 
question, even your own family often comes, why are you going to church? Why are you giving away your money? Why do you give away your life to serve others? Why would you choose to be there and not here with us? And for many of us, our friendship, our relationship with Christ, our conviction often sometimes have resulted in losing our family members. Our conviction to follow the scripture sometimes led to us losing our friendships, our status, our money, even our health. And if you have not done so, perhaps time is coming when you will be asked to count the cost, stand with Christ, value his relationship above everything else, because there is cost to following Christ, cost of friendship with your God. Just like many of you, in light of all that is happening in our nation, I'm trying to learn by leaning in and reading different books. And thank you for many of you who have com commented and talked to us about the letter. And one of the ways that we are encouraging you is to learn by reading and um, talking to people in our church. And one of the books that I'm reading is a graphic novel called March. Uh, this book highlights the life of John Lewis, American politician and civil rights leader. And it highlights the story of his life from a young boy to his fight for civil rights. And this one particular story, as a young John Lewis, in his early years as college students, really captured my attention. This one particular episode talked about the challenges that he was facing as a young black man going to college. As he was fighting for his right to attend Troy State, which was majority white or all white at the time, and as he was trying to become a first black student to attend this college, he was introduced to Martin Luther King Jr. And as in his meeting with MLK, Martin Luther King Jr. and the others proceeded to ask him, this young man, and basically asked them, young men, are you prepared for what is ahead? Basically, he was asked, are you ready to potentially lose your place, your friends, and your family? I was struck by that, especially in light of what can be virtue signaling for a lot of us to realize that many have given up their life for equal rights. And if it requires that much commitment to fight for justice, friends, the question that we need to ask ourselves is how many of us will still choose to follow Christ and friend Christ, even if it means that you will lose something, lose your family, lose your friends, as you stand for what you believe in. But that's exactly what scripture calls us to do. Take up your own cross and follow me. That's the cost of relationship Christ is calling every single one of us to follow this morning. You know, we may all not admit it, but many of us may say we hate this. We say we do not support this. But quite often than not, 
we act and live as if we actually believe in the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel that says God will reward those who is faithful to him. God is for you and God will give you wealth, health, and prosperity in your life. As much as we say, that's not what we believe the Bible is teaching us, as much as we say we are ready to take up the cross and follow after him, the reality is, church, oftentimes, oftentimes, we love the whispers of the prosperity gospel. And often our lives reflect prosperity gospel rather than the real, actual cost of following Christ himself. And as we often say, our church must stand for the truth, we often struggle when we see the brokenness in the church. We often want church to look perfect, our life to look perfect. But when we are faced with the brokenness, sin that entangles us, the flaws that we see, we often want to run away on the other side. Friends, I invite you to embrace our brokenness because that's a sign that we are walking with Christ. A church cannot be perfect because more closer the church gets to Christ, more exposed we will be in our sin. And what we're called to do is the countercost to be embraced by the grace of the Lord, denounce prosperity gospel, and hold on to the cost of following Christ because, again, Christ is absolutely worth it. That's what we find in parables in Matthew chapter 13, of the treasure and the pearl. Here Jonathan sees who David is, what God is doing. And in words of Christ, he who has ear, let him hear and count the cost of following Christ. Second truth that we see is not only friendship with God is pricey, friendship with God is also unpredictable. Our friendship with God is also very unpredictable. Despite Saul's repeated attempt at his life here, David is consistently delivered by God. But it doesn't always happen in the same way, doesn't it? There are four instances in this chapter and in all four times of deliverance, each one is different. And I think different for a reason. First time David is delivered is by Jonathan's appeal. As one commentator stated, Jonathan's appeal is for Saul's common sense. In Jonathan chapter 19 verse 4 says, Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not king sin against his servant David because he has not sinned against you and because his deeds have brought good to you. For he took his life in his hand and he struck down Philistines and the Lord worked a great salvation for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood by killing David without cause? You see, David's life was spared at Jonathan's appeal. Second time that David experienced deliverance was out of his own skillful evasion. By now, David must know the pattern is emerging. He goes out and fights this great battle. He comes back victorious. And Saul says, come and play liar. Come and play harp. And as he's playing the liar, playing the harp, of course, 
Saul is going to be filled with rage. And again, in this chapter, twice, Saul, in his rage, tries to kill him by pinning him to the wall. But how does David escape? By his superior athleticism, it seems like. Right? In verse 10, it says, As Saul sought to pin David to the wall with the spear, but he eluded Saul so that he struck the spear into the wall, and David fled and escaped the night. The third deliverance comes through because evasive instruction. It's a deception, but a lie to hold his father's guards down while David escapes. Verse 11, Saul sent messengers to David's house to watch him, that he might kill him in the morning. But Michal, David's wife, told him, if you do not escape with your life tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. So Michal let David down through the window, and he fled away and escaped. The final deliverance comes through the direct intervention of the Spirit of the Lord. Because as David flees Saul and goes to Samuel, hoping that Samuel will protect him, Samuel, by this point, has no power to actually protect him. So every time Saul sends his people to kill David, what happens is the Spirit of the Lord intercedes, and every time these guys that want to come and kill David is filled with the Spirit of the Lord, or Spirit that comes from the Lord, and they're not able to do what they're called to do. So this even extends to Saul. When he comes to the city where David is hiding, he gets filled with the spirit that comes from the Lord, and he's not able to kill but lies naked before Samuel and David. The events in this chapter seem to capture the four instances that are all vastly different, but one theme that's consistently true, that God delivers David, but in an unpredictable way. And I think that captures our experience in our life of following Christ. It doesn't take a genius to know that our lives are up and down. Sometimes it feels like a roller coaster. And if I pull all of you and say, did you expect for you to be here with that person, with this situation, and all that? Did you know that? Did everything of your life pan out the way you expected it to be? None of us will say, absolutely. I knew exactly what God is going to do, and I followed the script. Absolutely not. All of us will say, I had an unexpected path. I have no idea how and why we're here. And that's exactly what we felt as we're driving to Charlotte seven years ago. My wife was driving here, and one moment hit us. We're driving to Charlotte, North Carolina in our moving truck, and we thought, why are we going here? There must be a reason. And for next seven years has been lots of up and downs, but one thing is absolutely true. It was unpredictable, but God is faithful. David learns that this same truth through this chapter and more to come in the future, unpredictable as it may be, what he finds is God's protection does not change. He's ever so consistent, ever so present, Although it may be all different format and the ways, and the ways that sometimes you can see very clearly in the case of the Spirit of God filling the people, it may be through a friend that speaks to you, it may be through a prayer that gets answered, it may be through your own wisdom that God bestows upon you. Time and time again, one truth is God is faithful and God delivers. God is with his friend more accurate way to see God's deliverance through this chapter is to refocus our focus on God as the main actor, to see that God spoke 
through Jonathan to skillfully calm Saul's anger. God makes Spear miss David twice. Perhaps it's not his superior athleticism. God uses even the lie and the idol of Michal, even the idols and the lies, so that David can escape. And surely, God shows up with the spirit, not even a finger of Saul, and Saul's men can be laid on David. And friends, that is grace. That is our hope. And that is the gospel truth. And this is the testimony of grace of our God. And the amazing grace that you and I speak of, although that we may run away, we may turn left and right, we may make consistent mistakes, we may fall down, we may face foes that are greater than us than we could ever imagine, when the circumstances that seem overwhelming for us, even when there's an army behind us, and there's a vast ocean in front of us. Our God, church, our God, friends, our Savior makes a way. He never fails to show up. And it may not be the way you and I expected or even wanted. It may not even be the way that you and I would picture it to be. But in his divine sovereign plan, it is good and perfect. As Romans 8.28 reminds us, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And friends, do you believe in this truth in your life? That means even through the valleys of shadow of death, even through as you count the cost of living for Christ, even as you lose friends and family at times, even as we face COVID-19 and racial injustice of the day, our God is still at work in our lives. And he is still working for your good, for his perfect plan and purpose. God will never leave us nor forsake us. And even when you and I do not realize it, the promise says God is with us. He will show up. He has done the work. He is doing the work, and he will ultimately fulfill the work that he has called you to be. And the glory of the Lord, no matter how many times we try to push back at it, Christ is coming back. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed once and for all, even through an unpredictable life that we live. God is victorious in the end. One of my all-time favorite seen out of Chronicles of Narnia. It's when one of the main characters, Lucy, asks Mr. Beaver about mighty Aslan that she hears about so often. Lucy asked if King Aslan, representing God, is safe, as a young girl might ask. And Mr. Beaver said, safe? Of course, he is not safe, but he is good. He is the king. Friends, just like we sang this morning, he is our good, good father who leads us, who loves us, who protects us, who guides us. Unpredictable? Absolutely. 
at times downright frightening and dangerous? Absolutely. At times seem like he's not there? Absolutely. But we also see our friendship with God provides protection, guidance, the presence like none other. Because our friendship with God is pricey, unpredictable, but ultimately it's priceless for us. Finally, we see that friendship with God is priceless. We briefly touched upon this before, but this chapter ends with one of the most confusing, the most powerful imagery of those who oppose God's anointed. Those who stand against God will face this kind of end. Verse 21, it says, When it was told to Saul, he sent other messengers, and they also prophesied. And Saul sent messengers again the third time, and they also prophesied. Verse 22, Then he himself went down to Ramah and came to the great well that is in Sekiu. And he asked, Where are Samuel and David? And one said, Behold, they are in Naoth the Ramah. And he went there to Naoth in Ramah, and the Spirit of God came upon him also. And as he went, he prophesied until he came to Naoth in Ramah, and he too stripped off his clothes, and he too prophesied before Samuel and lay naked all the day and all the night. Thus it is said, is Saul also among the prophets. Saul here has another experience of the Spirit overtaking him. Remember the first time? This was when he was being ordained as a king of Israel in chapter 10. In chapter 10, after meeting with Saul, uh, Samuel, Saul came to Gibeah, and behold, a group of prophets met him, and the Spirit of God rushed upon him, it says, and he prophesied among them. And when all who knew him previously saw how he prophesied with prophets, the people said to one another, What has come over the son of Kish? It's Saul also among the prophets. In chapter 10, verse 11. Saul has a similar experience in chapter 19. But the key difference between these two is this. The evaluation of Saul in chapter 10 as Saul being among the prophet is a positive one. An unassuming young king counted among God's prophets. But when we get to chapter 19, we find complete opposite. Saul, bloodthirsty, king, opposing God's anointed. How dare does he come among God's prophets? Some commentators even speak of this overtaking of the spirit here on Saul and Saul's men to the evil spirit overtaking them because the word prophesy here is again the same word that's used for raving in anger in chapter 18, verse 10. So it could be said, Saul and his men was overtaken by the Spirit of the Lord in his sin and his raving, but not able to harm Lord's anointed. And whatever spirit it may be, one thing again is absolutely clear. Saul is powerless before Samuel and David. Saul, no matter how much power and authority he might have in this world, stands absolutely powerless before God's anointed. But rather than submitting under the absolute authority as a young and humble Saul in chapter 10, here in chapter 19, Saul is fighting 
raving in evil spirit, overwhelmed by the spirit coming from the Lord, and still stands in direct opposition to what God is doing. Friend, here's a gospel warning for all of us. Saul is a picture of what happens to you and I if we stand opposed to what God is doing. As we stand opposed to God's plan, it is not only a warning of the present moment, but the eternity that is to come. In our anger, God gives us up in anger, and we are shaking our fist at God as we stand, stand opposed to God's anointed. And we noted that before, anointed King David is the type, meaning he pictures for us the ultimate anointed king that is to come. And we see that again, the Christ, our Savior, is God's ultimate anointed. So to stand against David, as Saul represents in this chapter, is to picture for us who we can be, who we are, if we stand opposed to ultimate God's anointed. And in the book of Revelation, Jesus is called the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. He stands above all. He's to be worshipped above all. And if you are in direct opposition of God's anointed in this morning, if you stand in opposition to God's anointed this morning, this is not only the warning of your imminent judgment, imminent anger. They often feed into your hearts imminent pride that drives you away from people. But it is also warning against eternal judgment that is to come before you. If you stand opposed to God's anointed, the eternal judgment will come before you. And did you notice that small detail in verse 24? Verse 24 says, And he too, Saul, stripped off his clothes. Did you catch that? Yes, Saul lays naked before prophet Samuel. He is disrobed. Kingly robe is taken off. He is no longer a king before the Lord. And all his rage, all his sinfulness is disrobed before the Lord. He stands exposed before God Almighty. And if Jonathan voluntarily disrobes his kingship, Saul in this chapter is stripped naked by the Spirit of God. And this is the grace of this chapter, church. This is the grace of this chapter, friends, not only for those who are standing with God, but even for those who are not yet friend of God. For Saul, this experience, again, is God's grace. His efforts are not working let alone he's stripped naked before the Lord. He can't do anything at all. And that's actually a perfect place for us to be. But the question is, what comes next for Saul? And promise for those who do not yet call God's friend, here is grace for you too. Your disappointments, failures, struggles, the holes in your heart, holes in your life, it points to someone greater that needs to come and feel it. Friends, do you not see God's grace in that? And the question again is, what is our response? What's next for us? If you sense God is stopping the advancement of your sinful, selfish, or sensual ambitions, 
Do not harden your hearts. Rather, turn to the Lord. Come in humble repentance. Do not be defiant. Rather, turn to him because at the end, you and I will be absolutely disrobed no matter what. Even if you do not think you are wrong or even if you do not think that you are that bad. The scripture reminds us at the end of the day, as we stand before the Lord of the Lords, King of the Kings, anything and everything we try to cover ourselves in will be disrobed. And you as who you are in your insecurities and in your sin, both hidden, will be exposed. And you'll stand before the judgment of God condemned. And if you are joining us and you never saw God as a friend, and Jesus speaks for us, he reminds us that he died for our sin so you and I can be his friends. So for those who stand before the Lord, before our God Almighty, stripped away of everything that we try to cover ourselves with, as we stand condemned before the Lord, if you are a friend of Christ, what he says is, he is mine. He is mine. He is mine. And he wraps himself around you. And not only will you be stripped away of things that surround your sin, you will be disrobed of who you are. And at that moment, Scripture reminds us, you'll be given another robe, the robe of righteousness, the robe of righteousness that comes through the blood of Christ. And you will worship. And this is pictured in Revelation chapter 7. After this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number. From every nation, from all tribes, peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation, belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Friends, this is the priceless cost of being friend of God. This friendship with your Savior is priceless, so worth it, it demands all of your life. Let's pray. Let's pray. And um, let's commit ourselves to the Lord again. For those who have, of us who have relationship with Christ, have you counted your costs lately? Are you really living in the light of the gospel truth that calls us to take our cross and follow him? Or you, have you given into the lies of the prosperity gospel? And for those of us who have not called Christ our friend, as saw pictures for us, what the judgment day looks like. Do you not wish to be called his friend? This is an invitation from the Lord. Come, embrace his grace for you. Let's pray together in that. Father, we come in our confession, in our brokenness. Oftentimes, Lord, we have chosen. We have chosen do not count the cost, not remember who you are. And oftentimes, Lord, we have compromised 
our conviction, our faith in you. Lord, we come, stand condemned before the Lord, rejecting your grace. But Lord, we ask for forgiveness. We ask for your grace to cover us again, to stand before you, to be embraced by our Savior that says, you are mine, this is my child, and his robe of righteousness given unto us. We pray that be true for all of us, and for those who do not know you, pray that that offer of grace will come alive in their hearts this morning. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.